In August this year, you might remember the news story about the chaos in the UK airspace. We're seeing reports of flight delays following what is reportedly a major network-wide failure of the UK air traffic control computer system. There was a computer glitch which caused the air traffic control system to go into absolute meltdown. Led to over 2,000 cancelled flights, disrupted the travel plans of hundreds of thousands of passengers, myself included, and cost the aviation industry an estimated £100 million. When things go wrong, pictures of airports in disarray fill our news feeds. But when they're operating as they should be, we barely stop to think about what actually happens behind the scenes. Because airports are like miniature cities and it takes a lot of engineering to keep people, planes and possessions moving through them smoothly. I'm George Maffedon and you're listening to Create the Future from the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. And today, we're looking into the engineering behind airports and the innovations that are on the horizon to keep us flying into the future. This stuff is no longer a thing of our dreams. It's no longer this utopia that we used to imagine when we were kids. No, like this stuff is actually, actually happening. My guest today is Mohammed Tahir. He's known on social media as the airport guy. And he's worked as an engineer at London Heathrow Airport for the last five years on everything from baggage, the runways, and even air bridges. So Mo, you're on TikTok and Instagram as the airport guy. That's how I met you. Can you please tell us a little bit more about what you actually do? So what I do on TikTok is I take what is a very complicated piece of engineering that pieces together and I try to take individual puzzle pieces in little 30 second videos. Then people can start to gather these pieces, click them together in their own mind and start to understand how this beast of a thing called an airport that they probably travel through but don't realise the complexity of actually works. And you've actually just come straight here from the airport. How is that experience now for you as someone that constantly works in there? Are you often critiquing it? Like, how does that work? So there's like two parts of me. There's like two voices in my head. There's the voice that's like, bro, you're on holiday. Enjoy the holiday. And then there's the other part going, oh, look at them. They're using that. Oh, <laughs> oh I thought they could do better than that. Like <laughs> I'm traveling around the world. I'm just seeing little things. I'm judging their security processes. I'm looking out the window. There's also other things like, do I trust these people in my bag? Like, is my bag going to make it to the other side? And I'm going to make sure the guys like properly scanned it. I need to learn more about that from you because, yeah, my mum is just about to come um, from, from Nigeria to, to the UK. And yet one of the things that she had happened to her last time was her bag got lost. So, yeah, maybe there's some techniques that we can take from you as well. And in terms of your career, what's the career path that kind of led you to where you are now um, and why did you decide to study engineering in the first place yeah so it's a really good question um when i go back to probably when i was like 16 i was baffled i didn't had no idea what i wanted to be when i was when i was older i knew i liked planes but i always felt so far out of reach i don't know a part of me wanted to be a lawyer my brother-in-law um, i was lucky enough when my brother-in-law managed to get me like a one-day tour one-day tour 
at a company called Marshall Aerospace up in Cambridge. Now, this company has the ability to design, build, and fly an aircraft all from one facility. So I'm talking design offices, I'm talking hangars where there's like massive machinery, where they're like CNC machines, cutting things apart, aluminium flying everywhere, you know, melting it again, putting it back. It's crazy, like the amount of stuff that's happening there. And then there's a control tower and a runway literally just like 50 meters behind these factories where they can fly the thing. And the CEO took me from one part of the business to another. We went through like 15, 25 different hangars looking at all this stuff. And like my mind was blown. I was like, you know what? I want to be an aerospace engineer. Like after that day, I remember clearly, like I wanted to be an aerospace engineer just because for one time in my life, I got to see the inside of this industry. I was hooked. And that's when I went to do aerospace engineering at Bruno University. I've done a placement year as well. So during my placement year, I worked at a company called Lufthansa Technique. So I've done that for a year, went back to uni, graduated. And that's when I joined Heathrow Airport on their graduate program. And I was so lucky. That three years of my life was probably the most the thing that shaped the rest of my life forever, those three years on the graduate scheme at Heathrow completely shaped the rest of my career. So let's talk a bit about your time as an engineer at Heathrow Airport, one of the biggest and busiest airports in the world. And maybe you can give us an overview of the engineering that's actually happening behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it all it all starts off the moment you rock up to the airport. Let's say you, you showed up by, by train. That's all part of our rail engineering team. So Heathrow Airport has a rail department that looks after all the trains that come in and out of the airport. Then you go upstairs to the actual uh, check-in desk and now you see you see your screens. You have the, the actual screens that have all your gates on there. Those screens are part of our engineering team. The CCTV cameras that keep an eye out for you are part of the engineering team. When you le- let go of your bag and it gets injected into the baggage system, all of that, the, the sort of technology that tracks your bag, sort of robotics that sat underground that you're completely oblivious to is all part of the engineering. Most of us will check in our bag and just expect to see that turn up at the destination that we kind of go to, hopefully. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, um, like bags getting stuck. Um, and you were one of the kind of engineers in charge of helping to essentially fix this issue. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there was one particular issue that I realized that when I was doing my six months in the baggage system, and there's something we call dieback. Dieback is when one bag gets stuck and the bag behind it stops because it senses there's an obstruction. And it's like a traffic jam all the way back through this conveyor belt of bags. We call that dieback. Now, the risk of dieback is if dieback lasts for too long, you can't check in bags anymore because it's gone all the way back to the check-in desk. So one of the things that was causing dieback on that particular day was there was a bag that was knocking off a particular sensor called the overheight bag sensor. Now, if you imagine an x-ray machine, every single bag that you put through Heathrow's baggage system goes through an x-ray machine. Now, an x-ray machine is only so tall. If you have a bag that's sat on the conveyor belt that's too tall for the x-ray machine, there's this sensor right before the mouth of the x-ray machine that'll stop it because it knows that this bag about, that's about to come through is just a bit too high. I can't, I can't take it. So it will stop it and it'll send a signal to the engineer to say, hey, can somebody come down and push this bag over or just solve this issue of overheight bag before we start sending bags to the X-ray machine? So on that particular day, there was a bag that stopped because it was too high. And I asked my manager, hold on a minute, why Why is this, you know, this bag is too high? Why? And he goes, well, when they built Terminal 2, because they were trying to squeeze in as many check-in desks as possible, it meant that the de- check-in desks were quite narrow. Because the checking desk is quite narrow, means that the bags have to be stood upright, 
when you're putting them in. You can't lay them down sort of flat on their belly. You kind of have to put them on their thin side up, mm. which means that when they get into the system, they're over height. So somebody had designed this thing called a toppler, where which is like a it's like a, a speed bump that sits underneath the the uh, the conveyor belt, and it's meant to design to like push the bags over. It's like it creates a bit of angular momentum as the bags going over. Imagine drive, driving over a speed bump too fast. What happens to you in the car? Right? It's exactly the same thing, but it does that to the bags. But the way they had designed it, it just wasn't effective. It really wasn't doing what it was meant to be doing because the bags were still being stood up, stood upright, even as they were going over this thing that was meant to solve the problem. So, as this budding young engineer who's joined Heathrow Airport, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna solve this problem. So I remember going back, like through my notes from uni, and I looked at the um, equation for angular momentum. <laughs> Crazy. I was like, hold on. I literally sat there for like a, a good th- two, three hours, just watching this thing work and trying to figure out why is it not doing what it's meant to be doing what is it that's stopping it from actually pushing these bags over and i realized the part of this design there was part like like it was like a triangle but the top was flat so what i did is i literally just redesigned it very simply to increase to include the little pointy edge i was able to increase the angular momentum by three times just by that tiny little tweak three times more angular momentum was being able to be created so that toppler went from being about 65 70% effective to going to about 95, 98% effective, literally just like that because of a tiny little tweak. That's amazing. And I know from my personal experience on planes, not necessarily in the airport, what this one small tweak, you know, can do, you know, for this whole process in terms of efficiency, a small component I redesigned made Rolls something Royce, exactly it? within Rolls Royce made it forty percent more efficient and very very small. So exactly the same thing, which is phenomenal, and it just shows where the crossover is as well. So and that's amazing. So on the topic of baggage and trying to be as practical as possible, what's the one tip that you would give someone to maximize the chances of getting your baggage, you know, on a flight? So I have three top tips to to make sure that your bag makes it. Number one, if you have the old stickers from the old flight stuck around your bag, get rid of them. Those barcodes get reused every three days because there's just so many numbers. So there could be a chance that if that number is getting reused, it's a global system, your bag will get sent to a random country. So get rid of all the stickers and only put the stickers that are actually for that relevant flight and try and get them on as many different angles of your bag as possible. Number two, if you're checking in like a backpack or a rucksack, make sure there's no loose hanging parts. There's no there's no strings, there's no straps. There's nothing that can get caught on something as it's traveling down a conveyor belt. Because if it does, your bag, like that conveyor belt will just keep churning underneath it. And if the bag's made of any material that, you know, it's literally like conveyor belt versus bag at this point, and the conveyor belt always wins. So don't have any loose bits hanging off your bag. And the last thing is if your bag is even remotely round, don't check it in because those round bags on an incline or a decline just turn into boulders and they just like they just cause havoc. Like they'll just start rolling, especially if they're shrink wrapped. Because you know the shrink wrap they do at the airport, it just turns into a, literally a boulder and it just starts causing mayhem in the system. So yeah, don't do that. You know the you know those like those the aunties that buy like those those yeah, bags. Yeah, the like, must go bag is yes. what we call it. But uh, yeah. yeah, and then they shrink wrap them, bro. I've seen them like coming down a conveyor belt, doing at least 15, 20 miles an hour. 
<laughs> they're a hazard. <laughs> don't don't do that. Understood. And another engineering problem I know that you've worked on is to do with the visibility of runway lights. And I think you've brought in something that's right for yeah. me today to actually speak more about it. So yeah, tell me what you've brought in and I'll describe it to our listeners. Or you can describe it. Basically brought in two pieces of glass that sit inside a light fitting that sits on the runway at Heathrow Airport. Now, this, yeah, this glass um, is basically where the light shines through to actually get into the pilot's eyes. Um, now, the reason why I bought that in is because I bought one piece of glass in that it's probably been sat on the runway for about a couple of years, right? And you can actually see the damage on that light, right? You can see that there's so much damage on there. The reason why there's that this much damage on there is because when a plane's about to take off and the engines go full blast, any piece of stone that gets sucked into an engine gets shot out the other side and basically turns into like a projectile and shoots at these glass. And it's like a, it's like a bullet. Look, this is bad because the light that's trying to penetrate and come out, it can't come out through this. It's just too much damage on the glass. So instead, I implemented something called sapphire-coated lenses. Now, you can't see it, but there's a thin layer of sapphire on here, which means that even while this has been on the runway for about one or two years, look at how much damage there's on there. None at all. It looks completely, well, it looks as clean as it can be. Exactly. Because sapphire is the second hardest material known to man after diamonds. And these, even if a piece of stone hits it, it just bounces right off. And what that means for the pilots in the sky, the clearer this glass is, the brighter they see those lights. The easier it is for them to identify the runway, the better it is for them to actually land the plane. Um, once I spoke, to put this one into perspective, once I spoke to a pilot who was saying, I was asking, what's it like landing a plane where they don't really maintain their lights very well? He said, well, imagine trying to fly a plane into a black hole. At one point, it just all goes dark. You can't really see where you're going, but you're kind of hoping that there's a runway there. And that's part of the project that I'd done to improve our runway lights. In this example of, you know, the sapphire and also the speed bump, you can see so much of the little small tweaks that you can often do in engineering in order to essentially improve the experience for whoever the end user might be and how it makes life so much easier for different people as well on the journey. So let's talk about the future of airports. One of the many innovations that I've read about recently and we've known about for years is drones. And I know you absolutely love drones. You know, these are tiny planes flying around, big planes, essentially. Why would we need drones in an airport? So that's a very good question. Now, here's the thing. The world is moving towards a place where we're going to see more and more flying things in our skies. Um, now, an airport is already a place that's pretty regulated in terms of airspace, right? We control the airspace in drones. There's definitely a reason why you don't want drones at an airport. Because if that's a rogue drone that's flying around the airport, that can cause damage. If that gets sucked into an engine, that can, that can be extremely, extremely dangerous. Now, to avoid having drones at the airport, there's particular technologies that have been installed that can actually track and monitor any drone activity that happens around the airport. And... Once you've installed this technology, it becomes a thing that can both protect the airport, but it also becomes the building ground for innovation that says, hold on, if we know exactly where drones are, we know exactly where drones are. We can actually control these drones. We know where they're going to be and we can actually predict them. What monotonous tasks are there that take place at the airport that rather than having a human being have to go out there and do like an inspection every single time, if we know the route they're going to take, we know the path they're going to take, and all they need is to have a sensor on there, 
Why can't we just send a drone on an automated mission where we know that airspace is clear to go and basically complete an inspection task or complete a delivery or just do something at the airport? Might as well. So now there's a project called the Hado Project at Heathrow Airport that is trying exactly that. So it's a it's a massive project that brings together so many different uh, stakeholders to see, hold on, what are the use cases potentially for having drone technology at the airport? Can we use it for deliveries? What kind of inspections can we do with it? Actually, if we were to think long term, could they be flying taxi drones that deliver people to the airport one day? Mm. So they come in on a little drone from Birmingham and then once they're here, then they drop on you know the big jet that then crosses the Atlantic. Now here's the cool bit. If you can use and you can prove the use of drones at an airport, airports are basically like mini cities within mm. themselves. So if you can safely demonstrate that you can use drones in an airport, then you've safely demonstrated you can use drones in any city to do any task. So it's kind of a massive tick in the box that would mean we make a huge leap forward in using drones in day-to-day operations in life. Something we've also has been a big topic for a lot of people and and in a lot of companies as well is the future of airports being kind of electric, um, you know, or electric flight and kind of looking forward into the future. There's a lot of kind of excitement that we could have these aircrafts essentially on our runways as well. And I'm super interested in that. I do a lot of work within the kind of electric space at the moment. Tell me more about kind of your aspirations and, you know, what you've seen um, in terms of what the future could look like at airports with that. One thing that um, I've sort of had exposure to is the challenge of actually bringing that much infrastructure into an airport because infrastructure is, people take it for granted. Let's say uh, a company wants to introduce a massive fleet of electric vehicles. To do that, you need to introduce electric charging points. And to introduce charging points, you need to then build substations and actually get power from the grid and make sure that power is, you can actually charge the like just like the roads electric vehicles exactly like there's a huge amount that needs to happen just from an infrastructure perspective to actually create um the electrification of aircraft that doesn't mean it's not possible everything is possible right and actually like like you i'm excited for what that future could be probably i'm not sure when we're going to see if ever we're going to see a flight from like london to new york which is fully electric maybe the chances are we're probably going to see something that's more around the realm of hydrogen before that. Mm. But what we definitely will see that's electric is the stuff that is sort of more localized. And that's where the world of electrical, vertical and takeoff landing aircraft comes in. And that's a very exciting place because these are literally planes that basically act like helicopters. They'll land just like vertically down wherever they need to be. And then whenever they need to take off, they'll literally take off vertically like a helicopter. And then midair, their engines will either tilt forward or they will tilt forward to the point where now they're traveling horizontally across like an aircraft. So they're a hybrid between a helicopter and an aeroplane all built into one. And a lot of that innovation that's coming is all electric, um, which means that they're silent. They're far more silent than typical aircrafts. They're far more silent than helicopters, which means that very soon we might be seeing these things in our skies. And in your perspective, would you say that airports are are ready for this how would this change the way that airports are designed and and run ultimately so these these aircraft are still going to have to operate on what we call not necessarily airports but vertiports they're still going to be aerodromes so they're still going to be regulated by the caa civil aviation authority Uh, and there's a guy within the caa um who 
he's he's only recently started his job, but his job is to write the legislation for what vertiports even are. So I was having a conversation with this guy and he's like, man, my job is so cool. Like I, I literally get to sit there thinking, hmm, there's this new thing we want to design called vertiports. And what does the UK want to write in this legislation for vertiports? Vertical takeoff and landing airports. Mm. And these vertiports don't have to be big. You have to realize like vertiports can be built into an airport. So maybe Heathrow Airport can have a part of it. There's a vertiport for like localized aircraft that are coming in. I've read I've read like uh, articles where people are already buying bits of land around London, one around Brent Cross, other parts of London. Buy one in Peckham, then maybe. <laughs> yeah, you might want to buy one in Peckham, but they're already thinking, okay, we're gonna this land is close enough to a train station to make it easy commute straight into central, but it's far enough outside the city, which makes it actually a good point to put build the vertiports because what the future is going to look like is, oh, you wanna go to Manchester or you want to go to Birmingham? Cool. Why jump on the train when you can literally jump on this little half helicopter, half plane that vertically takes off and lands, picks you up, shoots off into the sky and then whizzes off to wherever you need it to go. Oh, by the way, fully automated. There's no pilot in there. It's just a drone doing its thing. It joins the highway in the sky and it just takes you to wherever you need to be. And it's silent. It's not, it's not noisy like an engine or a helicopter. Like, this stuff is no longer a thing of our dreams. It's no longer this utopia that we used to imagine when we were kids. Like, zoom, zoom, zoom. No, like this stuff is actually, actually happening. And it just makes me so excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited and just what can happen. And, and, and so much of that, you know, discussion in terms of electric flight, for example, or this green and sustainable future, Airports have to essentially try and find a way of facilitating and meeting those challenges. So to know that there's people like you at the forefront of that and trying to essentially explore what we can do to make that happen is, yeah, phenomenal. Anything else you would kind of share in terms of those challenges that you haven't shared so far um, in terms of how we can meet some of those demands? I know now we've got sustainable fuels, you know, sustainable aviation fuels that are, you know, being used to power some flights. Have you seen any of of those kind of take off and and yeah just your experience with that because i know as much as it looks like they just take one fuel and replace it with another there's of course more to it when it comes to the engineering side of course there's like a lot of testing that goes into making sure that this fuel can be essentially swapped out um for for the other i know virgin atlantic is planning to do the first ever um at, like cross atlantic flight from london to new york using 100% sustainable aviation fuels, which has never been attempted before. So that's going to be really, really cool to see and, and to sort of explore. And it just shows a step in the right direction. Um, but when we think about sustainable aviation fuels, is it is it sustainable? And I don't say that in terms of, is it sustainable? Is it is it green? I mean, is it long-term sustainable? Yes. Is it something that we can, as an industry, can it actually keep up with the demands of the industry? Now, when I've researched that topic, the answer is no, hmm. because it takes a lot to create the amount of, you know, fuel that we would require in the industry, which would mean that a lot of the land be used to you know, plant crops, a lot of the land be used to just, you know, use for other stuff that we need hmm. would have to be used for sustainable aviation fuel. So it's more of a transient step, as I said, it's a step in the right direction, but I definitely wouldn't say it's the, uh, 
it's a complete fix. Mm. Um, I see electrification and hydrogen as a, as a better step. And I know that you do a lot with hydrogen as well, a lot of research in hydrogen. You know, that world is up and coming, but who knows what other technologies are just around the corner that somebody in a lab somewhere is is knee deep in that we just have no idea. But that could be completely revolutionary within the next five to 10 years, but it just hasn't hit us yet. Exactly. And a lot of our listeners may be thinking about getting a career in in this space. And, you know, would you recommend a career in airport engineering? And, and if so, why? So to answer this question, the exact same reason why I got into aerospace engineering applies to this day. Mm. I used to imagine this utopian future where just things are going to be flying. Like more things are going to fly tomorrow than they do today. And that told me that there's going to be a job market out there. It told me that there's going to be a demand. It told me that if I am able to excel at this field, I'll be able to build a career for sure. If you look at the aviation industry now, there's it's not slowing down. It's, it's fast, fast, fast growing. We have complete, complete subsectors within the industry that are just in their infancy. And these are whole subsectors that did not exist. They did not exist 10 years ago. And now they're just in their infancy. So if imagine in five, 10 years from now, what other technologies are going to be developing within this space is so exciting. I mean, I always look at like people like gravi- Gravity. Yes. Have you heard Take On Gravity? Yeah, I've heard of them. They build jetpacks, man. Mm, I know, I know. <laughs> I really want one. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I've seen one at a Formula One track and Silver they kind yeah. of track in the, the Formula One cars. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, f- I feel like that's coming. That's definitely coming. Drones are coming. Flying taxis are coming. Airplanes are only going to get faster and better and more efficient uh, and more sustainable as time goes on. So if you want to be part of the team, the global team, that means more things are able to fly safely, more efficiently, more reliably, meaning that we can get from A to B and explore the world that we inhabit in a more efficient way. Hey, come join the team. There's a lot to do. Nice. I think I've got one question. So I'm very fascinated by airports. There's still many airports that I'm yet to visit that I could say are inspirational and futuristic, but I know they're out there. They're just, you know, yet to be discovered by me. What would you say is the most futuristic airport so far that you've ever, you know, flown to or, you know, you've heard of um, that you think sets the benchmark for where we're going in the future? Okay, so there's one personally for me and, you know, I'm going to say off the record, but this is definitely on the record. Um, But these views are my own, not my employer. For everything that I've said today, including this, um, the one place that fascinates me completely is Singapore International Airport, Changi. Like that place, it's like a forest built into an airport. I've seen pictures. Phenomenal. Man, I... It boggles my brains how they maintain such a thing. Because like when you think about water, like water, having a waterfall that big that creates so much mist, like that's just an equation for rust and things to fall over. Like how do you even just maintain the buildings in a place like that? How do you make... And I love how they've been able to create an environment that's both an experience, like it's a complete experience, as well as a transit. Like people go out of their way to experience that airport And I think that's what airports should be about. Airports, as much as they are about efficiency and getting people from A to B, I think that stuff should be a given. What we need to do is we need to create experiences where, you know, the holiday starts there. 
this this is part of your holiday. It's not like, oh, we're going to get you to your holiday. No, 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 no. The moment you set foot in this building, the holiday has begun. And that, when I just look at, when I look at Singapore Airport, it just looks like a holiday destination in itself. I saw a picture only a few weeks ago and that's exactly I just thought if I can just go to Singapore airport I think I'll be happy I don't even need to see the country I just need to go <laughs> to the airport and hopefully um, you know I think that's what the future of airports should be and I hope you know we can see much more of that in the years to come so Mo thank you for joining me today uh, been a phenomenal guest and I'm excited for what's to come in your journey but also for the future of airports so thank you for joining me today absolutely man my pleasure thank you for having me You've been listening to Create the Future, a podcast from the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering and Peanut and Crumb. This episode was presented by me, Georgia Maffedon, and was produced by Anand Jagatia. To find out more about the podcast and the work of the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, follow QE Prize on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.